I hope you're excited about reading the Bible with me today. It's September 15th, and this is the one-year Bible tour guide in which we read through the 66 books of the Bible in a year, taking in the entire biblical landscape from Genesis to Revelation. Each day we make progress reading successive chapters in the Old and New Testaments, as well as making daily stops in the books of Psalms and Proverbs. My name is David McAdam, and I hope that our time together will be instructive. We will pause after each reading to recap, giving the clear sense of the passage as it fits into the overarching narrative of God's redemptive work for those who are turned towards Him in faith. We are in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the largest scroll among the prophets. It's a mini-Bible in which God's righteousness provides judgment upon the nations who exalt themselves in prideful rebellion against Him but it also prophesies God's mercy towards those who humble themselves, turn from their idolatries, and trust in His promise of rescue. We are in the midst of Isaiah pronouncing woes of impending judgment upon nations surrounding Israel. So let's start where we left off yesterday, beginning with Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at His presence and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another, and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel, and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers, and I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them declares the Lord God of hosts. And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up, reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament, all who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish who spread nets on the water. The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton. Those who are the pillars of the land will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be grieved. The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you, that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools, and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion, and they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds, as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the City of Destruction. In that day, 
There will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, He will send them a Savior and Defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and He will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day... Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Chapter 20. A Sign Against Egypt and Cush. In the year that the commander-in-chief, who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it, At that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go, and loose the sackcloth from your waist, and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed, because of Cush their hope, and of Egypt their boast. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped, and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? Chapter 21 Fallen, fallen is Babylon. The Oracle Concerning the Wilderness of the Sea As whirlwinds in the Negeb sweep on, it comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me, the traitor betrays, and the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam, lay siege, O Medea. All the sighing she has caused I bring to an end. Therefore my loins are filled with anguish, pangs have seized me, like the pangs of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I longed for has been turned for me into trembling. They prepare the table. They spread the rugs. They eat. They drink. Arise, O princes, oil the shield. For thus the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Then he who saw cried out, Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights. And behold, here comes riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. O my threshed and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. The Oracle Concerning Duma One is calling to me from Seir. Watchman, what time of the night? Watchman, what time of the night? The watchman says, Morning comes, and also the night. 
If you will inquire, inquire, come back again. The oracle concerning Arabia. In the thickets in Arabia you will lodge, O caravans of Dedanites. To the thirsty bring water. Meet the fugitive with bread, O inhabitants of the land of Tema. For they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the press of battle. For thus the Lord said to me, Within a year, according to the years of a hired worker, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end, and the remainder of the archers of the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament portion from the prophet Isaiah. Let's take a few moments to recap. Chapter 19 introduces the sixth prophecy of the eleven judgments falling upon the nations. Isaiah addresses Egypt. Egypt has often been featured in the biblical narrative in its relationship to Israel. God's people often turned to Egypt, rightly or wrongly, when they faced hardship. Because of a famine, Abraham went down to Egypt and got into trouble. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and brought down to Egypt. Jacob's sons went down to Egypt in a time of famine with their families. There, through divine intervention that exalted their brother from his humiliation as a slave and prisoner to his exaltation as Savior, they became a great nation. Under Moses they emerged from Egypt to settle in the promised land. During Isaiah's lifetime, kings Ahaz and Hezekiah sought unholy alliances with Egypt to protect them from the threat of invasions from the north. Egypt proved to be an unreliable ally. During the 400-year intertestamental period, Israel suffered at the hand of Egypt. When Jesus was born and Herod was threatening to kill all those in Bethlehem two years old and younger, God sent Jesus and his family to Egypt. After Pentecost, the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean world. Many converts were made in this part of North Africa, including such significant theologians as Athanasius, Origen, and Augustine. Although Egypt has a heavy Muslim presence today and Christians are persecuted, the church is strong there. But the word of God lays the sins of a nation bare. Idolatries are the primary target of God's judgment. In the plagues that fell upon Egypt at the time of the first Passover, the false deities of Egypt were judged, including the sun, the river Nile, the frogs, gnats, and locusts. In Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, the oracle concerning Egypt, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. The judgment will involve religious, social, industrial, and commercial collapse. There will be civil disunity, stirring Egyptian against Egyptian. The proud central government, once ruled by the pharaohs, would set up weaker, self-governing city-states. The Lord promises to hand Egypt over to natural disaster and a cruel ruler whose identity we cannot tell for sure. The economy is heavily dependent upon the Nile River. When the river is judged, the surrounding land is no longer fertile for agriculture. There will be a failure of industry and commerce throughout Egypt. The bulrushes by the Nile, by the edge of the Nile, and all the sown fields by the Nile will become dry, be driven away, and be no more. Isaiah chapter 19 verse 7 The fishing industry in chapter 19 verse 8 and the clothing industry in chapter 19 verse 9 
will be judged. There will also be a political collapse in chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. God allows the confusion and distortion in their understanding. The Lord has mixed within her a spirit of distortion. They have led Egypt astray in all that it does, as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 14. However, healing is promised. In verse 16, 18, 19, 23, we read the repeated phrase, In that day. Most scholars agree that this puts the prophecy in the context of the prophesied day of the Lord. The Jewish day starts at sundown. The first part of the day of the Lord is one in which darkness covers the earth in judgment. This is followed by the dawn when the Son of Righteousness arises with healing in His wings, the kingdom of Christ, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Verses 16 through 22 refer to judgment within the promise of salvation. The fear of the Lord will come upon the people of Egypt. Thus the Lord will make Himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering, and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 21. The judgment will be followed by repentance and faith, and Egypt will have an exalted position in the kingdom. Blessed is Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 25. Cush, that is Ethiopia, has the dominant power in what was known as the Ethiopian dynasty. It ruled Egypt from 715 B.C. Cush and Egypt tried to stir the Palestinian states of Syria, Samaria, and Judah against the Assyrians. With the knowledge that this Ethiopian dynasty had their back, some in Samaria rebelled against Assyria. In chapter 20, we read about Tartan, a general in the Assyrian army, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. He came to this city of Ashdod to deal with these rebels in 711 B.C. Isaiah was called to dramatically portray the weakness of Egypt and the folly of trusting in its promises of protection. Isaiah performed a mime, laying aside his outward tunic of mourning for three years. This was contrary to custom. Stripping himself of his sackcloth and taking off his sandals was equivalent to going naked in the minds of the people of his day. And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush. Isaiah chapter 20 verse 3 Isaiah became a walking parable, as he was no longer adorned with customary clothes and shoes. By wearing stripped-down attire, he was warning of the future judgment coming upon Israel, Egypt, and Cush. Burdens 7, 8, and 9 are found in chapter 21 against Babylon, Edom, and Arabia. Babylon is full of deceptive idolatry. God commands the Medo Persians to destroy the city. A harsh vision has been shown to me. The treacherous one still deals treacherously, and the destroyer still destroys. Go up, Elam, that is Persia, lay siege, Medea. I have made an end of all the groaning she has caused. Isaiah chapter 21, verse 2. This prophecy was given approximately 200 years before the invasion took place. While the Babylonian king Belshazzar is feasting, the Median general Gobrias detoured the water of the Euphrates River and drained the moat that protected the city to the degree that the Medo-Persian army could enter the otherwise impregnable Babylon 
by marching on the freshly dried riverbed and entering through the empty underground water tunnels designed to bring water into the city through the walls and hidden beneath the river surface. We find the expression found in Isaiah chapter 21 verse 9 in the book of Revelation. Now behold, here comes a troop of riders, horsemen in pairs. And one said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the images of her gods are shattered on the ground. Isaiah chapter 21 verse 9. The image of harvest often refers to the final judgment, the separation of the wheat from the chaff. O my threshed people and my afflicted of the threshing floor, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I make known to you. Isaiah chapter 21 verse 10. In the harvesting of grain, there were two different steps. First, there was the threshing. This is when the heads of wheat were trampled to break open the seed pods where the valuable grain was stored. The seeds were then thrown into the air where the worthless chaff was blown away and the grain fell back on the floor. This is called winnowing. God is after the good grain as the sinful and rebellious are sifted away. The Burden of Edom, or Duma, Isaiah chapter 21, verses 11 through 12. The name means silence, and Sayer means storms. They are pictured as watchmen asking, How much night is gone before the glory of God arises? Next is the Burden of Arabia, Isaiah chapter 21, verses 13 through 15. It was evening in the history of Arabia. The coming judgment is one in which they will flee from those approaching with swords, bows, and the press of battle. A timeline is given for this judgment. Within one year, all the pomp of Kedar will come to an end. Thus says the Lord. Now let's go to today's reading from the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Paul accepted by the Apostles. Galatians chapter 2 Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, 
fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Let's review what we just read. Paul continues his remarkable testimony. He is substantiating his claim that he is a genuine apostle with a genuine gospel. Fourteen years after meeting with Peter and James, Paul went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. This was after the first missionary journey. Paul reminds them that at the Jerusalem council there was no obligation put upon them to circumcise Titus. Circumcision was a sign of allegiance to the Old Covenant. Paul did not give in to the pressure of those of the opposition party of Judaizers who were insisting that Gentiles conform to the ordinances of Judaism to be genuine Christians. Paul unveils what was behind their self-righteous insistence on religious conformity in Galatians chapter 2 verse 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Paul exposes the bondage of legalism in this letter. God does not focus on externals. He wants to see truth established within and the power of the Spirit producing conformity to Christ without. Paul has the conviction that he had the same authority as Peter and was preaching the same message, except Paul was preaching predominantly to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. The fact that the other apostles recognized Paul's authority is illustrated by an incident of Peter showing duplicity when he came to Antioch. He had been preaching the equal standing of Jews and Gentiles before God based on their both being justified by faith in Christ and His perfect work of redemption alone. Yet when the time came for the believers to have a meal together, Peter withdrew from the Gentiles because he did not want to offend the Judaizers with him. In chapter 2 verse 13, Peter's hypocrisy had a negative effect on the gathering. Even Barnabas and other Jews followed Peter's poor example. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul publicly rebukes Peter. Peter, in his epistles, acknowledges Paul's apostolic authority and the divine inspiration of his writings. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul gives his appeal to his fellow Jews that neither Jews nor Gentiles are justified before God by their works of conformity to the law. We can only have a right standing before God through faith in Christ Jesus. The gospel is not about our performance, but Jesus' perfect performance of righteousness on our behalf. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Galatians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. 
Now let's go to the book of Psalms, and reading Psalm 59 today will be Peter Healy. Psalm 59, verses 1 through 17. Psalm 59. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil, and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me, and see, you, Lord, God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths with swords in their lips. For who they think will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on mine enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more. That they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs, and prowling about the city. They wander about for food, and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress, and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Thank you, Peter. There are two parts to this psalm. Each section ends with a refrain praising God, for he is his strength, his fortress, and his stronghold. Because of his strength, I will watch for you, for God is my stronghold. Psalm 59, verse 9. This is another prayer for deliverance from the attacks of the enemy. The psalmist is suffering mistreatment from bloodthirsty evildoers who give no thought for God. In the midst of his trials, he demonstrates unshaken trust in the Lord. He prays that his enemies would be humiliated, so all would recognize God's supremacy and sovereignty over all. In verse 13, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. Psalm 59, verse 17. Now let's go to our final stop on our Bible reading tour to the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from shale. This is not a recommendation for any abusive treatment of children. 
it is a reminder that to withhold discipline from children is another form of child abuse. Children need to recognize that there are consequences for disobedience and lawbreaking. They also need patient instruction and training for doing what is right. Let's pray together. O Lord, we run to you, our strength, our high tower, our fortress. Deliver us from our enemies. Make known your ways and draw penitent sinners to yourself. We wait upon you, seeking to cooperate with the working of your Spirit and giving heed to your commands. We anticipate you reigning on the earth in righteousness. May people recognize your sovereign mercies today and give us the grace to proclaim them. In Jesus' name, amen. We've taken in a lot today. I hope you've enjoyed our Bible reading excursion, and we will be back, God willing, tomorrow as we continue in the prophecies of Isaiah. We will also consider more deeply the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel in the book of Galatians. So until next time, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us by writing podcast at newlife.org or if you would like to receive a written copy of our explanatory notes on each day's reading from the One Year Bible, you can subscribe to a daily email at our website, newlife.org. Lord, bless us all with a greater appreciation for who you are and an understanding of what you would have us do this day. For the glory of your name, we ask it. Amen. And now may the weak say, I am strong. May the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Shalom.